We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. It happens to be my favorite book, period. I've been a believer since I was seven, and I've been in church since I was zero. <laughs> and uh, so that to, this talk this morning is about church, and it's an uncomfortable talk because it's a challenge to us. It's a, uh, it's a warning passage, basically, and it's a proverb in the middle of Ecclesiastes. So uh, there's a shift in the way it's written. Uh, there's a shift in the tenor and tone of it. But Ecclesiastes gives us uh, an accurate view of the life we are called on to live. And there's a guy named C.S. Lewis says, we are not designed for this world. We're not designed to live here and feel comfortable. We're not designed to make it work. We're not designed to have it to flourish as a result of being in this world. That's not what's happening because the world is not the way it's designed to be. It was broken, it was missequenced is probably the best way to say it. Remember that because I'm gonna come back to that sequencing idea here in a little bit when we look at the passage. We're in the fifth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes and really what Ecclesiastes says to us over and over and over again is you can look at life eyes wide open if you're a believer in Jesus. You don't have to blink. You don't have to be surprised. You can be saddened and depressed and forlorn and a bunch of other stuff. But you can't be surprised if you read scripture well because it tells us what life is like now until we wait until the Jesus returns. And so... Uh, it tells us these things because its claim is that it's true. It doesn't claim to work, a friend of mine said years and years ago. And that phrase has helped me as a believer continue to walk day by day, realizing that this may or may not work, even though I'm faithful and I'm steady and I'm whatever, right? Uh, because I've had people that have, good friends of mine that are diagnosed with cancer or have MS or Parkinson's or some other kind of thing. And I had one friend of mine was trying to break the news to her daughter that she had MS and her daughter reached over and just stopped her kind of in the middle and she said, Mom, you've taught us that this world is a mess. Why not us? She got it. That's what Ecclesiastes gives you. Why not us? Why, shouldn't, why should we be exempt from the things that the world has to grapple with. And that's all that Ecclesiastes is doing. It's saying, you shouldn't be exempt. You should be able to look at life with eyes wide open and not blink. So I, that's what Ecclesiastes gives me anyway. And I want to try to give it to you a little bit this morning. Uh, this is a particular passage that talks about going to church. So it's about what we're doing today. <laughs> It's actually talking about us being here, and it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about, but I want you to hear it clearly because it can be one of the most hopeful things uh, to you if you understand what the Bible's trying to tell us at this point. Uh, learning to live in this world, in this reality, is what Ecclesiastes keeps pushing, and it says... You need to learn to live with ambivalence. Well, I grew up in a church that taught me 
certainty. So I've got certainty on one side, and I've got ambivalence on the other, and I think, okay, so, so which is it? Does, does ambivalence mean that I, there's nothing certain? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But I think what we quite often do is we hang on to something over here that's certain. It does, instead of giving us confidence, it actually works in the opposite direction and keeps us from growing. So ambivalence is this idea that I don't know. Something's bigger than me. There's more going on than I can see. And God's an incredible mystery, an incomprehensible mystery, actually. But we're, we're forever trying to squeeze God into some kind of an answer or some kind of a form that we can manage in some way. The second thing I would say is that the mystery we live in is hidden. Why do some people succeed? Why do some people fail? Why do some families just get run over? It seems like by life all the time and others not at all. And, and if we compare, we're really in trouble and on and on you go. So uh, what I'd like, like to say to you is that under the sun, S-U-N, uh, you and I need to learn how to live with questions and just settle in them. The older I get, the more questions I have theologically. Now, I'm not probably going to tell you all of them from here. I mean, you'd go, what? Really? But I want you to hear that questions are fine. There's more to the universe than we can see. There's more going on than we can see. There's more connectedness than we know. There's more, really, of everything because of the God we serve. So, I, I thought maybe I should do a little research, and there's a gal named Lisa Simpson that writes this. She says, <laughs> sorry, follow along. She says, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's really hard being a teacher, by the way because you're caught in this all the time. And part of the text we're going to go over today talks about speaking. And it tells you, be careful. And if we get to it, I'll give you some background and all of that. But, the, but even being a teacher is nerve-wracking because the Bible says you might not want to try to be a teacher because you have, there's a standard that comes with it. And so I say lots of words, and I have to be careful <laughs> because, of, because of this. So let's look at the passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here's what you need to know. We are made to worship. You and I will worship something. You cannot not worship. You just can't. Now, you may be worshiping your health, or you may be worshiping a relationship, or... Uh, uh, a dream you have, or you may worship a lot of things. Uh, uh, you may worship your kids, or you may worship your mate. Uh, maybe this would be helpful to you to think about it this way. There's worshipful love, which is actually owed only to God himself, because he's the only one worthy of being worshipped. And then there's nurturing love, which is from God to us and us to each other. We are designed to nurture one another, and we're designed to worship God. But this text is telling us 
it doesn't always come out really straight and clear. Sometimes it's kind of murky and muddled a little bit. So either you will get meaning and purpose from God or with being with God. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, something like this, it says, besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. We just got done singing a song about being at Jesus' feet. And it talked in there about having holy moments. What Ecclesiastes would say is there's not a moment in your life that's not holy. Not one. And you have to be ready to be able to navigate that terrain in some way that's life-giving to you and tells the truth to other people in the world. So here we are, we're going to church, and it sounds like this. Verse 1, chapter 5, Ecclesiastes. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. What does that mean? means pay attention to why you came this morning. So if I could poll you, uh, I bet you're all here for different reasons. Some out of habit, some because somebody invited you. I had a couple uh, people walk up to me after the first service and they said, we've been surveying different churches and so we came this morning and we wanted to meet you and blah, 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 blah. They talked about whatever. Uh, so people are here for all kinds of reasons. That's exactly right. They said, man, that was a lot of words, you know. <laughs> I was thinking, how can I, how can I ask you honestly, why are you here? I've gone to church my whole life, and I know there's hundreds of Sundays. I've gotten zero out of it because I did it out of sheer habit or out of some kind of ritual or out of some kind of practice. You know, uh, that's the word that this church is supposed to be dealing with this year, uh, dealing with practice, and it's a good practice to go to church. It just sounds good. But the author here is giving us a warning. So let's listen to what he says. Guard your steps. Pay attention to why you're coming to church as you go to the house of God and draw near to do what? What's it say? Listen. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. An approach to listen. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? First thing you're supposed to do is listen. Listening's hard, by the way. It's an untaught skill. It's a huge gift to somebody if you listen to them. If you feel listened to and heard, it's pretty amazing. I've never listened to somebody's story, ever listened to somebody's story and not been stunned by its beauty. Everybody's story is amazing if you can hear it. So because of what I do for a living, I have a button and it says professional listener. I don't wear it very often. Partly because it's really hard to do, and I'm married. <laughs> if you're not married, you, you may need some explanation, but if you're married, you understand that. Uh, it's a little bit like being given a humility button, you know. You won the Humility of the Week award. The minute you put it on, are you working with me? Are you even out there, you know? <laughs> 
I mean, you, you don't wear a humility button. I'm the most humble person in the world, right here, you know? It's like being a professional listener. I keep the button just to remind me how hard it is to do this with clients, with my own family, sometimes with my own heart. Listen. Take time to listen. Drop your arms and don't defend yourself. Don't create the next argument. See if you can't hear what is being said. Not just the words so that you could repeat them back, but your understanding matches the understanding of the intent of the other person. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to do what? To listen. And then he contrasts it with something. Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What's the sacrifice of fools? It's where you believe that you are what you do. I grew up, and the message I got in church was I was to do this. I was to choose to believe and follow Jesus. That was number one. And then after I started following Jesus, I was to read my Bible, pray, tell other people. So I was given a list of things to do. And they sound good, but that comes under the rubric of this phrase, sacrifice of fools. We are not what we do. We become more human when we are what we receive. Salvation Biblically, is a gift given to us, free of charge. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's ours. That's the last song we sang. Do you hear it? Too often we come to church bringing a sacrifice, thinking that we're going to be blessed because we come, or thinking that we'll get some kind of return on our effort here, or or it's it's some kind of a ledger system instead of a relational system. And he says, don't offer sacrifice of fools. Draw near to do what? Listen. Nancy and I are verbal and intense, and we've been together for 63 years in some form or another. And, <laughs> and, and we, we have lots of words and we're quick, and we say sorry a lot because we're quick. And the very thing in the second verse, in just a second, he says, don't be hasty in word. Listening should slow things down. Listening takes time. Listening is actually irritating. Because <laughs> if you've got something to say, you want to say it, you know. He says, they don't know they're doing evil when they offer uh, a sacrifice. Well, what, 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 are, what are we talking about when we're talking about sacrifices in, in church? Well, we're, off, we're talking about people that uh, do their devotionals or go to Bible study or join this group or, or they give money or they do, you know, they pray or some other kind of thing. Now, all those things are good things. Please, don't get that wrong. Practicing those things is fine. But if you practice them out of order, you're in trouble. I had a client one year, a number of years ago. Uh, I realized after a while that uh, she was kind of a prayer addict. 
So this is where I lost my Christian Counselor of the Year award. <laughs> I said, what I'd like you to do is not pray for a month. See if see if her head would blow up, you know. I mean, she was relying on prayer, not as an integral part of a relational dynamic, but as a way to avoid having to face reality. As a way to escape keeping your eyes open. As a way to escape having to face life as it actually is. So if the, if the Christian message is primarily one of truth over and against just reality, what Ecclesiastes keeps telling us over and over again is we have a natural tendency to be idolatrous about this stuff. And so we make an idol out of our habits, and we make an idol out of our rituals, and we make an idol out of our behaviors in some way because it's easier to do it that way. All you have to do is read a little bit in Isaiah and a little bit in Jeremiah, and you'll understand that idolatry is this big piece of the puzzle. We have, and we're natural idolaters. Because if we come to God, and that's, I think, what he's asking here, he's saying, I want you to be whole when you come to me, because I'm an undivided God, and I want to be in an undivided relationship with you. And Nick just talked about that just a second ago. He said, this is, this is the hard thing for us, to realize that we can't earn that relationship, and God gave it to us freely, and he doesn't take it back, and he wants us to be there, and he doesn't want us to do this sacrifice of fools thing that keeps us actually on a, uh, some kind of an economic basis rather than a relational basis. Like, if we do this, then we'll get this. The interesting thing about Ecclesiastes is it says, if you do this, sometimes you get this, but sometimes that's not true. So I always call Ecclesiastes the but chapter, right? Because it says, anything you can find in Scripture, it will go but. And give you another example of something that's unfair, etc. And if you read Scripture, that's the whole point. You need to listen to God. How do you listen to God if you don't have access to his words to you in some way. Well, let's go on. Verse 2. Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Not many words. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Say it. Simply, you'll, be, you'll retain more sincerity if you just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. Pretty soon it loses its impact. Don't be hasty. Take your time. Take a breath before you say something. Say, I'll get back to you tomorrow with that. That's heavy. I don't know how to respond to it. Right now I'm all worked up. I know whatever I'm going to say next won't be good. It won't be loving. It won't be kind. And then he says, for dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. In other words, uh, you use your imagination in a wrong way. And Paul says this to Timothy. He says, everything God created is good when it's used the way it's designed to be used. That includes your language. Everything's good, but you can, all, you can pervert everything as well. 
You can redeem everything. You can pervert everything. It's not the thing that's the issue. It's not prayer that's the issue. It's, it's a sacrifice of a fool if you misuse it. And so many people come to church because this is one of the very best places to hide internal development. I get to work with a lot of leaders, and I have for 40 years, and I am amazed at how many leaders have great skills and great capacity to move people in a lot of different ways, and yet inside of them, they're hollowed out. Why are they hollow on the inside? Because they're offering a sacrifice of fool, and they're not listening, and they're not open. Do you like to listen to feedback? How many people like to listen to feedback? Hardly anybody does. Especially if it's critical in some way. You know. And most people defend themselves against it. And the research shows you that feedback is usually not received very well. We defend ourselves. I've been working with leaders in missionary settings for 30 years, and I have had to take people off the field simply because they will not listen. If they would have listened, they could have made adaptations and adjustments. And... But you don't grow unless you get input, do you? And sometimes we're so stubborn and we're so afraid and we're so insecure because we get our identity from what we do rather than what we've been given. God's given you life and he's given you uh, righteousness and he's given you a new heart and he's given you things that you can't earn and you can't create on your own and he says now I want to be in relationship with you not on the basis that you can earn it just on the basis that I delight in you I want to be with you I taught a sermon here not too long ago about how much God desires to be with us and he creates us as a temple where he can inhabit and be with us and too often we're running away and doing the very thing this chapter warns us about. Well, uh, verse 4, when you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Here's what I wrote down here. These vows exist because we are untruthful. I had somebody the other day say to me, and you probably have heard this too, now I'm going to be, I, I just want to be perfectly honest with you. What have you been <laughs> for the last 20 minutes? What have we been talking about? Some not perfectly honest stuff? How do, we, how do I sort through that? You know? And now, now what am I supposed to trust? Is the perfectly honest or is there a higher level yet? <laughs> we don't even know ourselves well enough to be perfectly honest. Interesting, isn't it? Where do you get your sense of self? Life is a gift. Your sense of self, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, your self comes from grace. He says, I am who I am by God's grace. And my motivation comes from him. And my, the power to do what I'm motivated to do all comes from grace. God provides this for us. And then he says, listen so that we can be in relationship. And when you feel heard, you're going to feel closer. Confession doesn't change anything, by the way, but it sure makes you feel better. Because it's out here. You don't have to hide it anymore. 
Verse 5. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and don't, let, and don't say in the presence of the messenger of God that you made a mistake. Whoops, I didn't mean to say that. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? He's just simply saying, don't pretend. Don't pretend that you're without capacity to do this. Uh, Say the truth. Be open. God already knows. Why are you hiding? And then he says, for in many dreams and many words, there is emptiness. And then he ends this in a very important phrase. He says, rather fear God. The word fear means to stand in awe of, to be struck by. Wow. He wants to take a walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with us in some way. And here's how Ecclesiastes ends. So this is in the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says the summary right here. He says, connect with God first. Second, do his commandments. Well, we do it the other way around. We try to do his commandments in order to connect with him. And he says, no. He says, that's a sacrifice of fools. Doing his commandments means that you try to live life the way he prescribes it. If you go the other direction, you're going to say, he wants me to be in relationship with him, and out of that, I will want to do his commandments. I love to work with tools, and I have a bunch of them, and I have learned over the years that there's a benefit in reading the instruction manual for tools. Now guys, I hate to admit that. I know that's hard for guys in particular. I don't want to let you get down, guys, but I, I've learned that, you know, there's something about the guy that designed this thing that knows something about it that can help me get the most value out of the tool that I have. And what I would say to you is that that's exactly what it means when it says, fear God and then do his commandments. I want to know what the author of the tool meant so I can get the best out of it. And that's what God wants us to know about the way he designed us. So instead of resisting his commandments or using his commandments as a sacrifice of a fool, it's good for us to shift that around a little bit and say, I want to be in relationship with him and then out of that, trust that relationship. I had a good relationship with my dad and he taught me tons of stuff. And and I could trust him because of the relationship. So I didn't, in most cases, I wasn't fighting my father when he would give me advice or say, this is the best way to do that because I had already seen him do it and I wanted to learn the same way. Does that make sense? I want to talk about one more thing because this has to do with why we make an idol out of church and an idol out of a lot of other things. If you are, are not... If you're divided, if you have a divided self worshiping God, uh, what happens to you is you wind up leaving things out. You, you hide or you drift or you pretend or you posture or you look a particular way, you know. I'd like to be the same person standing here as if I met you somewhere in Fort Collins this week. 
the same person. I don't want to be a different person. I want to be the same person. I want you to be able to test me, if you will, in a sense. So let's look at a passage here. It says, Ecclesiastes 1.17 reads like this. It says, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realized that this is also striving after the wind. Madness is an interesting word. Three times in Ecclesiastes, he uses this. This is the only verse you're going to see this morning. But three times he talks about studying madness. That's craziness. That's mental health. Those are, those are the issues. What makes people crazy? Well, the word madness that he uses there is the very same word we get the word praise from. And we quite often offer a sacrifice of fools when we make an idol out of worship, for instance, or we make an idol out of wisdom or some other kind of thing. And so when he studied madness, what he's telling us is that if you praise the wrong object, something other than God, you will, it'll make you crazy. <laughs> you, because you're worshiping something that can't carry the weight. Only God deserves to be worshiped. Nothing else. Nobody else. And so it seems like to me, if you understand that, it's helpful. And in Ecclesiastes, he says, I, I study this for, for that purpose. And, you, and then you don't have to create an alternative reality of some kind. So let's look at one more passage. It's in Deuteronomy 6, and it's Moses talking to the children of Israel and he's saying look uh, you're going to go into the promised land and here's what God says to you now, now pay attention to the very first word he says hear listen Israel listen to what look at what he lists the Lord is our God the Lord is one so he's undivided and you shall love the Lord your God with what all your heart your soul and all your strength. And then he says, and these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand. I was trying to figure out how I could get you all to have something tied to your hand today. You know, maybe just take your pen and write a verse on your hand. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, what would remind you in a constant way, in an ongoing way, of God's Word? Because it's God's Word that's both alive and written. The living Word and the written Word that's talked about here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 when he says, listen. Listen to what? Listen to the truth of His Word. And he says, and you shall ha hang them, tie them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We need to know what God has to say to us so that we can do his commandments on the basis that we trust him relationally because... <laughs> He says, that's the, that's the way you're going to be in relationship with me here. So when you come to church, check, guard your, guard your steps so that you can figure out, why am I here? Am I here to worship God? 
or am I here to listen? Well, listening would come before worship. Does that make sense? So the order matters. Being comes before doing. Too often we do in order to be, and that's what hollows us out on the inside. When what we're supposed to realize is God's already made us all we need, given us all we need so that we can turn back around and worship Him in spirit and truth. Does that make sense? You can, you can pervert anything, and that's basically what this is saying. Guard your steps. Don't offer a sacrifice of fools. Offer yourself. <laughs> Sit at His feet and realize there's not a there's not a moment in your life that's not a holy moment. And I don't care whether you're changing the oil, mowing the lawn, going to the store, taking the trash out. Holy moments. Why? Because that's how God created us to be living fully and not have a holy moment over here and not so holy one over here. Are you up for praying with me? You're awfully quiet. <laughs> Father, help us to go to church to listen to you, to listen to your words ever more deeply so that when we turn around and live out our lives, uh, they're more, they have more substance and more connection and they're more fully whole and they're less fragmented and they're less detached and they're less divided. Help us to come to you uh, with our hearts open to you because it's that's what you want from us you don't need anything if you wanted a roast beef sandwich you said you had all the cattle on a thousand hills you you can you don't ask us for things that way you simply want this relationship and it's the heart that you want from us and I pray that we'll recognize that there's a real attachment between our hearts and our ability to listen and hear. So help us to reorder our lives so that hearing you comes before doing something. And then help us to grant uh, back to you gratefulness for the grace that's sufficient. We don't have to ask for more. You've already given us all we need for life and godliness. We are here to live and honor you fully. Thank you for this morning and the freedom we have to do this. But thank you most of all for your son who makes, who makes it possible for us to come to the house of, of the Lord and praise in a non-foolish way. Uh, not trying to earn something, but because we've been given something. Help us to give it away to the people we know and the people you've given to us that love, that joy, that freedom, that abundance. Thank you that uh, your resources are unlimited. Thank you that your son makes it possible for us to access them. And it's in his name we pray.